Right. Thank you, Sam. Uh, right, as sort of you mentioned, uh, the passage today is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. And as we're looking in uh, Ephesians using the theme of sit, walk, stand, we are still very clearly in the sit part of uh, that. Because uh, at the start of verse 15, Paul says, for this reason, I'm actually going to start reading at verse 13. So we've got at least a part of the context of uh, what he's writing about. So from Ephesians chapter one, verse 13. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, was sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Verse 15, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who is all in all right i got a bit fast on that because that was all meant to be one sentence <clears throat> when we were chatting just before the service started uh it went all over, the chat went all over the place and at some point the uh, sort of gloomy 80s got mentioned well i was going to start with a story from the gloomy 80s so it wasn't it's not a gloomy story uh, in the early 80s, Lynn and I spent a couple of years in Kenya uh, when I was teaching at a government school there. And when you live in a different country, you notice things which don't work quite the same way as they do in your own uh, land. So one thing I noticed in Kenya was that you saw a photograph of the president everywhere, not only in government offices, but in the school office, every classroom, every shop, and every church. At first, I thought it was a sign of megalomania, but I re later realized it's more a statement of power. And of course, a bit of reflection a, a bit later, I realized that during the colonial period, it would probably have been a photograph of the queen there instead. Another thing was that the president was the only person who could be a president in the country. You couldn't be the president of a golf club or a professional association. If you called yourself a president, it showed that what you wanted to really do was replace the president and take his place. Now, I found this rather amusing at the time when my uh, colleagues explained this to me. But on reflection, they probably understood the concepts of power 
and the power of words and symbols better than me. Now, in this passage, which I've just read, in a sense, Paul starts at the bottom of the Ephesians and it just sort of spirals upwards to Jesus in the heavenly realms. But what I want to do is look at this passage the other way around from the top down. Now, it's pointless to argue whether the crucifixion or the resurrection was more important because neither makes sense without the other. But the point in verse 20 is that when Jesus was raised from the dead, God the Father seated him at his right hand. Jesus sat down as his work was completed. Now, we could say that he now had power and authority over all creation. But he had that anyway. But these words are inadequate to sort of talk about his state and status. Because his power and authority is orders of magnitude, not even a hundred times, thousand times, many times more greater than any earthly power. In verse 21, we're told that his power is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. It's not really worthwhile trying to analyze <coughs> differences between rule, authority, power, dominion. They're all talking about similar kinds of concepts. But also they're talking about powers and authorities on Earth, but also talking about the age to come and talking about perhaps spiritual powers and authorities. So Jesus is not just above every earthly power, including presidents but also above every spiritual power behind them. We just need to look at how political rulers struggle to bring about the changes they want to realise there's something behind just human activity involved. Whether we call it the swamp, the great when, the system, the man, we somehow recognise the truth of this. We see some glimpses of these spiritual powers in Daniel and Revelation. But the most important point is that Jesus is far above them all. And when we head backwards, we find, as Mike uh, has already uh, read for us, at the end of verse 18 and 19, that because Jesus is seated with his power, we now have an inheritance as his power works out in and through us here. Sorry, I'm misreading my notes. Here in the, this part of the letter, it's just mentioned. Paul comes back to it in more detail later in the letter, so I'm not going to go into that further at this point. But what we need to recognize at this point is that Jesus is seated in the heavenly realms and this power is available to us. 
When I was preparing for today, uh, most of the commentaries I looked at tended to look at and analyzing the words and so on. But as is often the case, Tom Wright in his commentary, rather than looking at the detail, picked up on how does this actually apply to us? And I think that's what I want to look at. Yes, it's good to get the, if you like, the flavor of what Paul's saying, get caught up in seeing how glorious Jesus is and what his power is. But what relevance does it have to us? And this is something which Paul Wright, sorry, not Paul, Tom Wright says on this. If someone says, well, I don't seem to have much power as a Christian, or I can't see the power of Jesus doing very much in the world, that simply shows that they need this prayer of Paul. Paul doesn't imagine that all Christians will automatically be able to recognize the power of God. It will take, as he says in verse 17, a fresh gift of wisdom coming to see things people don't normally see. And this in turn will come about through knowing Jesus and having what Paul calls the eyes of your inmost self opened to God's light. One of the reasons I read those first few, few verses from the previous paragraph is that Paul recognizes that these Christians in these Christians in Ephesus are real Christians. They've come to faith. They've been given the Holy Spirit as a security. He knows of their love towards the saints. But it doesn't, as Tom Wright says, that doesn't automatically mean that we've got a complete picture or complete understanding of who Jesus is and how his power works. So the Christians in Ephesus needed the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. They needed their eyes of their hearts enlightened so they could know the hope in which they were called and the riches of his glorious inheritance. It's something which doesn't come immediately on becoming a Christian. It's something we have to, well, firstly, God has to give us and open our eyes to, but we have to be willing to let God open our eyes. It's something which happens continuously. It's not something which happens once and is done. I think the more, in some ways, when we're first Christians, things seem quite simple. And then as we grow in the Christian faith, things seem a bit more complex and don't quite seem to work quite as simply. And maybe when we were first Christians, we prayed, all prayers seemed to get answered quite quickly. And now we've prayed for some people in the church for decades even, and solutions haven't been found. So as we grow in the faith, we also need to grow in our understanding and uh, the revelation we have of Jesus and his power. So we need to keep praying for one another. As Paul prays for the church, we need to keep praying for ourselves. So rather than me actually say any more now, what I want us to do is to pray. 
and to ask God to give us his spirit of wisdom, to give us revelation. So let's just where we are now, pray for ourselves that we might know more, that we might un understand and see more of what it means that Jesus is seated. I'll just read the sort of verse 20 onwards bit that we might see more of this. Let's pray this for ourselves. Let's pray this for one another. And then after a few minutes, I will just pray out Paul's prayer over us as well. That God will be working in us and showing us. This is what he said about Jesus. Talking of the father that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under Jesus' feet and gave Jesus as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. But let's ask God to give us a revelation of that. Lord, we do confess that often we don't feel that we have much power. And we look at situations and we sometimes can't always see how you're at work. But Lord, we thank you for the truth of the verses we've read that you are seated in the heavenly realms. That all power and authority is yours over everything on this earth and in the heavenly realms also. And Lord, we ask for ourselves and for one another, Lord, that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. Lord, that we might have the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we may know what is the hope to which Jesus has called us, that we might know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Lord, we pray this for each of us, ourselves. We pray for it for one another. We pray for it, Lord, for our brothers and sisters who are not here, who are part of our church. Lord, we pray it for the churches of our town, and of our nation and for our brothers and sisters across the world, Lord. That we might know this glorious power, that we might know who you are. And know what you have made us in the inheritance you've given us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.